So, welcome to another episode of Gilded Age. Uh, today, we're joined by journalist Owen Higgins. Um, you know, the first time the first time I saw your byline, I was at Pace, and I was like, who the fuck is this guy who keeps taking the top spot on all their top-read articles? Like, who is this guy? Um and uh, and and then I, I started reading your stuff and I got hooked and I'm I'm really glad that you're here today. You're you're one of the the most uh, clear voices I think on the left and and just in the space. Um, and your takes I, I find are, are fairly consistently, you know, same page as, as where I'm at. So so thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's a privilege to have you here. Thanks, guys. That's uh very very uh, kind of you to say. Um, and I'll, yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on, Owen. Also, I, I want to mention that Owen is, um, he is the author of The Flashpoint, which is a Substack newsletter that's part of uh, the forthcoming opt-out uh, independent media news aggregation app. So we're also happy to have him on there. And, you know, Walker and I are, are heading that up. Um, Mark's also involved in the foundation behind it. So we're all kind of involved in opt-out. So just want to start plugging that every episode now. That's a good plug, Alex. That was, that was, that was seamless. Oh yeah. Very smooth. So, uh, oh, and today you have a story um, that that came out in Business Insider, or not a story, I should say, an op-ed in Business Insider, arguing that if we really want to get, if we really want to prevent the rise of, uh, I think we can call it fascism or authoritarianism in the U.S., we need to demilitarize the police. Um, could you elaborate on that a little bit, and then? Yeah, sure. I, you know. Um... A number of off-duty police officers were involved with the riots, um, and that number continues to grow. Uh, it appears that at least one or two, if not more, uh, members of the Capitol Police uh, were somehow involved in doing something that 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 is worth investigating. You know, one one assumes it's something you know like. Uh, assisting the the riders or 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 some kind of sympathy um and you know this is part of an ongoing problem where you know police in this country are completely unaccountable um and they have uh hyper militarized uh equipment and weaponry uh because of not only because of trump um also because of his his predecessors uh, but you know, like uh, How under dare Trump, you. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> under Trump, you know, things have really gone into overdrive, and I think that it's, I think that it's worth, you know, considering that uh, we should start thinking about kind of, you know, pulling back, maybe disarming them completely, or at least demilitarizing them. Uh, cutting their funding back, uh, starting to make them more accountable. Is the is the idea that if we don't do that, we are encouraging not only a mentality that fosters authoritarianism, but also pr maybe providing the means by which uh, authoritarianism could rise? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, I, I think that the 
the way that uh, police in America really don't have any accountability, don't fear any consequence, is an indication that they are acting, you know, I don't say this in the article, but this is just me opining, um, that, that they are uh, kind of like an occupying army of sorts in that, you know, they, they like they're held to a different standard. Um, I mean, you know, they are, it's clear. They can, they can kill people at will without really getting into any trouble. Um, they rob, steal, sexually assault, beat, murder, do all of these crimes all the time uh, with impunity, seldom if ever are, are held accountable. Um, they're kind of omerta, code of silence of the thin blue line, ensures that they don't tell on each other as it were it's, um, it seems like there's a there's a loyalty to each other over the citizenry. Right, right. I was gonna say, like, or even even if not individually to one another, to to the uh, to the institution of the police. And so, if you combine that with um, state authority to use force, and then combine that with uh, you know military gear uh, from all over the world, you know, most recently like Iraq and Afghanistan, this surplus equipment that has been just going to them over over the last few years, I think that then you have a situation where um, you have an unaccountable group uh, that, and, 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 you know, to then kind of tie it back to the Capitol riots, this is a group that is very sympathetic to the right wing in general, and especially the defy right movement that Trump represents. And so when you have a situation like the Capitol riot uh, and you see a bunch of police there, um, I think that that kind of indicates that there are uh, kind of more problems out there. I mean, and definitely agreed on all points. Um, but w with regard to the Capitol riots in particular, on, on, on a surface level, the argument that you make in your, <clears throat> in your piece is almost counterintuitive because the problem was a lack of um, power on the part of the police although there's these much which is why they got overrun and basically had to strategically retreat and let these people into the capital to buy time to evacuate everybody are you worried that this um is going that the insurrection at the capital is going to be used to justify empowering police even further i i am i i would i would say that i don't think that the problem at the capital was that police did not have enough power. I would say the problem at the Capitol was that, uh, at, like the best thing that you could say is the police were unprepared. But mm -hmm. um, you know the fact the fact that they were armed, the fact that they had uh, you know military equipment did not seem to make a difference there. And I don't, I, I yeah, I, I don't know if I completely agree with that framing but even saying that aside i mean it seems obvious that that's what they're going to try and do right i mean that's what you know they're talking about biden doing a a domestic terror law um you know you have people like um you know members of the gop who are kind of like backing him on this anytime that you hear someone like liz cheney i think uh 
having your back on something is yeah and again like, I, I was not endorsing that framing but i just i see it being framed that way and it's easy to frame it that way and we already see it going down that way that path yeah i mean the the issue yeah. was i mean the issue was just that they're they didn't think the the people in charge especially the head of the capitol police um didn't view a, a white mob as being a threat even though not only was this 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 whole thing was planned out online for everybody to see all the journalists were reporting on it a lot of people that we know and like are reporting on it but actually it sounds sounds like they were he was warned by by you know other government agencies that this was a threat and he just decided no we're not going to do it we don't want we don't want um a sort of national guard um, to, to, to be appearing in front of the Capitol. We don't want that sort of optics, quote unquote, and things like that. Um, so yeah, I don't think it probably, it probably wasn't a matter of like the sort of level of force they had access to, but I do think it was just a matter of manpower. They didn't deploy enough people. They didn't accept the help of the National Guard until several hours into the insurrection. Um, they didn't plan ahead because historically these agencies, not only are they infiltrated by white supremacists, white nationalists and everything, um, but they also obviously just don't apply, uh, they don't apply their force in, uh, equally towards the right and left. And that's of course something that you uh, lay out in, in your piece. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, in terms of the 1033 program that, that you know, you talk about, I, I am curious, and again, I don't know if this was your argument, but I, I am curious about that idea, something I hadn't really thought of is just that maybe Walker alluded to that, that police people who uh, have these crazy Iraq era weapons, you know, in their basements that they pull out sometimes to, to antagonize Black Lives Matter protesters and other, other leftist protesters, that that might actually psychologically uh, sort of give them a little more justification for their sort of militaristic tactics in general and just kind of see themselves as these kind of like occupying force within the United States when they're that's not at all that their job and that's not what they swear to do when they're they're sworn in as cops. And Trump is giving them, you know, uh, legitimacy. He's, he's or not. Obviously, police are a legitimate force in this in this country. Uh, as is as because they are institutionalized and whatever. But what I mean is that he's giving this sort of like this sort of occupation mentality uh, legitimacy and saying, giving explicit, like we have your back, this is okay. Um, and I think that that's very, that's troubling. That's what, at least what I thought of when I, when I read your piece, Owen, was that, you know, we are militarizing a, a force of, of people that, um, are being encouraged from the top down to behave extra judicial, uh, judicially. Yeah. I mean, I would say I, just to go back to, um, to the point that we were talking about, uh, just before this, I mean, like one thing I do want to say though, as, as to, as to Mark's point, I know that you weren't making this argument, but you know, about, about the Capitol being overrun is that I have seen in some of the parlor videos, the crowd once they broke through mm -hmm. and once they broke through um i mean yes like they would never have treated uh like like it was a largely white crowd to what you're saying alex like yes definitely um they would not have have uh treated them to begin with like this if they were black lives matter protests or something like that um but there is some video of people like on the Capitol steps while people are like inside and people are flooding, like they're just kind of like panning. And it's just, it's like a sea of angry people. Um, and I think that at a certain point, I mean, I mean, you know, like we saw, like they, they, they had like these little like dinky, like metal gates, like that's not going to do anything um, to that. But um, 
Yeah, like the 1033 program. So journalist Seth Kirshner, who I mentioned, one of the reasons that I name dropped him is we went to high school together. Um, and and uh, he's good dude. Um, he, he kind of exposed a lot of... Uh, you know the program was pretty well known, but 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 he wrote about it back in 2015, and then Obama signed this this law, or executive order restricting it, um, and then you know Seth found that uh, like that's nice, but um, you know none of that none of that has has changed anything, you know like he was still doing it. He was just like kind of under the table, kind of uh, you know still passing it to them, or you know for the most part. Um, and what is that, you know, but again, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is Obama's fault. I'm just saying that that's, it, it's, it's an ongoing problem since HW Bush. I can't remember what the thing was called before that, but since HW Bush, it's been in place. Yeah, there's um, another number and, <laughs> like 422 or something like that. Right. And so, yeah, so then they just like switch it around. Yeah. Like they give it a different, like different technical <laughs> name. And yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the reason that it's important to think about it though, in like the last three administrations, especially is the hyper war machine effort uh, in the post 9-11, like global war on terror uh, kind of reality that we live in where they're just, you know, they're just taking like bucketfuls of cash and just dumping them into defense contractors defense contractors are just giving them tons and tons and tons of weapons and armor and, and you know, and just, or, or at least, well, not giving them, but at least producing it. And, and then it just kind of like sits in a warehouse and doesn't, you know, get sent to the front or, or for, for whatever reason. And then it gets passed on to police. So you're a police officer, uh, you know, already in a situation. I mean, this is kind of going, what you're saying, Walker, about the psychology, you're already in a situation where, um, there are basically no consequences for anything that you do. Um, you see yourself as kind of like a, a, a protector uh, of, of the flock who, who needs to be uh, in, in some ways unaccountable in order to make the hard decisions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we've all seen this shit. And, you know, so, and then if you combine that with now you're getting tactical gear that people were using in Iraq. Now you're getting like heavy weaponry that people are using in Iraq. You're, you're driving around in, uh, in these Lenko um, military Jeeps and um, vehicles, by the way, Lenko, Pittsfield, Massachusetts, city I used to live in. Uh, always loved seeing those cars going by. <laughs> Very, very comforting, very relaxing. Um, but they are, but they're like, they're, they're just, they're like military trucks, basically. Like they're completely fully armored. Um, they are basically built for crowd control. And so this stuff just keeps on getting just shoveled out to, to municipalities around the country. And so psychologically, if you put yourself in a position where you already think of yourself as kind of like some kind of, you know, samurai or like, or, or, or some kind of, you know, warrior of some kind. And then you're given even more power and less accountability and all of these weapons. And, and you know, like the, another artifact of, uh, 
of of these forever wars is that you're producing more and more combat veterans who come home and some of them were part of these protests. I mean, there's a lot of profiles now about the people they've been identified. And one of the zip tie guys was like a very decorated, I think, Air Force um, pilot in Afghanistan. He won several awards. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's just more potential recruits for, for this kind of authoritarianism. Right. Um, Cause when you come back, you're disconnected. O- oftentimes veterans come back and they're not they They feel disconnected from the society that, that, you know, that the, they have a hard time readjusting um, to, to peacetime. And that unfortunately has led to obviously other issues like suicide and, um, homelessness and, uh, you know, all, a whole host of problems. And these uh, far right groups give a sort of a sense of belonging to, to people and, and purpose. And, and uh, there it's sort of a, a world, I think that, that, or the, the vision that they preach is sort of a world that is familiar to um, veterans. And, and so th- that is, that is very troubling. Um, on the white nationalist groups, I mean, they specifically, sorry, Owen, but they specifically recruit veterans and, and yeah. cur- also current members of the military and current members of the police forces, but they, whether they're current or former, they want people with that training, with that level of expertise, knowledge about how to use weapons and stuff, combat tactics. Uh, so it's very scary. And this is, this is not a new phenomenon that's been happening for a long time. Um, but that is why you're, you know, a lot of these militia groups are super dangerous, like the Oath Keepers and some of the actual more overtly neo-Nazi groups and stuff, because they have people with those skills. Yeah, yeah. I used to, um, I used to work with a nonprofit uh, back in Olympia called the Black Dog Foundation, uh, which helps people with PTSD, including domestic violence survivors and veterans is started by a veteran, Vietnam veteran. Um, and he used to tell me, the guy who started it used to tell me about like how it, how it began. And one of the main reasons that it began is it was in Ferry County, Washington and you know, the VA and the, the, the structures that we have in place do not take care of veterans at all. They don't. So they have nowhere to go. They end up in places like Ferry County, which, um, in the 80s had the highest concentration of Vietnam veterans in the country, uh, I think per square mile or per capita. Um, so they go places like that where they go into survival mode and you know you go over to their houses and it's just like guns everywhere. Um, and you know, like this guy, uh, Rick Francis, like uh, definitely was, uh, had some severe PTSD, but he managed to get out of it through, you know, Aikido and, 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 and working with veterans and, and, uh, but, you know, he would tell me stories about like people that would come back who were just like completely broken by what had happened. And it's not like the VA and veterans administration or, you know, or, uh, it, sorry, sorry, the VA and, and other veterans organizations are helping Right. And the military is already a a right wing, pretty right wing organization, uh, you know, generally. So it's, it's like a very toxic mix. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, we've talked, we've talked a whole lot about, about the things that, that fuel, um, that are fueling this moment. And, and, uh, like, obviously we've talked about racial factors, we've talked about economic factors and, and 
this is something I that I really I'm glad that we are you know able to talk about because the the militarization of police is not something that I think is one of those things that jumps immediately to mind, but I absolutely see how it's it's another it's another institutional breakdown. Like there there is a reason why the military is not supposed to operate on U.S. soil, um, and yet we are slowly breaking that distinction down. Um, <laughs> giving equipment to people who frankly aren't even trained adequately to use it. Uh, and uh, the, with the, you know, a, a new terrorism, a new uh, domestic terrorism law that promises to roll back privacy prote- protection even more like these institutions that, that we have, that we are eroding are just a step. Every, every, every one that happens is a step towards, towards a, an authoritarian um, regime. I think. Yeah, and now we have the National Guard in D.C. and the entire place is shut down. Like how anybody who thinks that that's just going to be walked back is like, uh, you're dreaming. Like that's, you know, it, it's probably not going to be the same, but um, it's not going to be quite as open, which is just, you know, this kind of like ongoing. Yeah. Every time that they push it a little bit, it gets hard. I mean, it's like cliche of the Overton window, but it is true. It's just the slow, the slow creep towards, towards totalitarianism or fascism or. Well, and, and you know, I think it's important to mention that there. I mean, white national, white nationalist terrorism, uh, and I guess now it's kind of being, it's kind of intersecting with whatever the hell is going on now with QAnon, which like, you know, is clearly far right people. There's a lot of racists, but it's not necessarily like, you know, you can't label it as overtly white nationalist in some ways. But the point is, I mean, this is a real problem. It's growing, and the FBI and other agencies have been ignoring it for a long time, and they're finally kind of forced, <laughs> like after an insurrection, they kind of have to take it seriously. I hope they do. Um, so I guess one thing that a lot of progressives are saying, which is totally right, is, of course, we don't need additional t- anti-terror laws. We don't need more stuff. We just need the existing agencies to actually do what they're supposed to do to combat domestic terrorism. Um, the, the, the resources are all there. They just need to use it and focus it on the people who are actually doing the majority of the terror, which are white nationalists. Um, but I also I don't want to like I don't want at least I don't want to like. I think it is important that we have agencies that are fighting it really hard. Um, and, and that might in, involve like, for example, a very temporary occupation of DC. Now, that sucks. Um, it really sucks. But for the couple of days before the inauguration, I'm not really sure what the other option was. Um, there, there's active threats all over the place for the inauguration day. And, and actually for the 17th, uh, which is, I believe today, I guess it didn't happen, thankfully, but you know, I mean, it's, it's a kind of tough balance where like, you want to just be completely against it, but also, in the very short term, reacting to an insurrection that just happened, I feel like uh, you know a week or two, you kind of have to do it. But as as Owen was saying, yes, like the the, the idea that they might just immediately walk it back or be back to normal uh, is probably not not accurate. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see like how how all that plays out and if they actually take like the white nationalist threat seriously now. Well, I just I just want to say that you know I I think that. There are a lot of people who fear, who feel that the existing agencies and the existing powers that they have are way too much, and they are not using those powers to deal with any of this stuff. Um, but even if they did, those powers would still not be justified. I, I definitely feel that way. I feel like Patriot Act, DHS, all that stuff, complete mistake needs to be complete rollback, destroyed. Um, 
Oh, I agree with that with DHS. Absolutely. I mean, I don't the, think the you're going to find service. anyone yeah. here who <laughs> yeah. agrees with that. Just want to be clear on saying, that. Just, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, totally. Um, but in terms of the white nationalist threat, they're, they're, they haven't, they've never done enough and they're, they're not probably going to do well, it's, enough ever. It, it's, it's alarming because if the police are explicitly now at this point aligned with the right and the right also has these militias and they're the insurrectionist threat. I mean, it's um, there's this sort of mounting force on, on one side and how, how does the left counter it? I mean, are we relying on federal troops to counter a real threat of like people who, who fancy themselves, you know, um, trying to overthrow the federal government. I mean, it's, it's a scary question because so, someone has to take up arms against that. I mean, so I talked to, um, to NYU professor and historian, uh, Dr. Uh, Ruth Ben Gatt. And, uh, one of the things that she, she said was that, I mean, there, there are a number of fronts that we have to, con- that we have to do battle with this, with these sort of far right authoritarian, uh, strongmen, favoring ideologies. And one of them is, is rooting out in our institutions, federal institutions, rooting out uh, infiltration. I mean, in, just in agencies, like uh, something she said was like, how many Stephen Millers are there now in the federal government? Um, like that's, and, and that's, that's a huge problem, but also like we have to um, sort of deprogram people. We have to be able to, to, to deprogram or dedicate resources to doing that. Um, and also addressing the, the, the economic problems that, that we face that, that are sort of that help drive radicalization. That is not to say that racism is caused by economics. I want to make that absolutely clear to our viewers and listeners. That is not what we're saying. Um, but, but people who are, who are uh, desperate are prone to radicalization and that is a problem as well. So, so there, there are a number of fronts that we have to combat this problem on. Um, well, revolving door project has, uh, has, has made a, a case. They have a memo out saying that, um, there should be the de-Trumpification of the federal government in like, and like not only, you know, wipe all of the loyalists that are open out, but you know, to like go into the uh, hiring practices and personnel, do like an entire investigation and like completely figure out like who in there is, uh, you know, like a Trump loyalist and who is not, um, which I think kind of gets at what you're saying, Mark, about like the, like the need to like have, have this stuff get, combated in, in, you know, by somebody. And I think that that to me is like a good way to do it. Um, but ultimately, I mean, like one thing I will say, uh, is that ultimately I feel that, um, I'm not condoning the use of state power, uh, you know, to like, to fight this stuff. Right. But, um, or, or I'm not condoning like the, like the, um, I'm not condoning the Patriot Act or, or, or the militarization of the federal government or the, the overreach of state power uh, in, in what I'm about to say. But what I do think is that if you have a situation like with what just happened on the 6th, 
where the legitimacy of the government is basically challenged because these people just walk into Congress mm -hmm. and take it over. And I think, it, it, at least from my perspective, inarguably, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're there to, to, to do some pretty horrible shit. Um, yeah, they absolutely would have killed yeah. people so, if they found But them. like, if, if, if the government is faced with that, um, you don't have a lot of options in order to reassert your legitimacy. You have to like drop that, it. That is, that, you have yeah. to, absolutely. And that's the, the 20,000 National Guard troops in DC right now. And it's, it's tough because I, I don't like to see that as much as anyone else, you know, likes to. And, and I do agree that it's going to be tough to roll back you know, once we, once we take that step forward, we've seen that we saw that with nine 11, like pretty much nothing that we, all the security steps we took that kind of encroached on rights. None of that's been reeled back. You don't, you just don't come back from that. But, but at, at, people, at the same time though, if there's a militia, yeah. a, a group of armed people who fancy themselves <laughs> a militia trying to overthrow the federal government and have the ability to kill a lot of people. I mean, yeah, you, you don't, unless like, you Antifa is going to occupy force. the capital and, and it's going to be, you know, our militia versus their militia, left versus right, which seems more chaotic. I mean, I, I do think. Right. No, no, yeah. no, Mark. This is the age of Reagan, <laughs> of Reagan hagiography. Hey, we would leave it up to the state militias. <laughs> okay. Right, right. But, look, but, I, but I think the thing is that, you know, so, so we're all in agreement about that, right? That like the state in order to preserve it, its legitimacy, it has to strike back. Like, I think that, I think that understanding and accepting that um, as the reality of the situation, I think kind of, you know, what people on the left should be doing is critiquing that, pushing back on that. It doesn't matter that, that, that the state power is being exercised because of a challenge by the far right. Mm -hmm. Like it still needs to be critiqued. It still needs to be challenged um, because we're not part of the federal government. We're not part of the state. And we all know what's going to happen sooner or later. And so there needs to be, I think that that's, pe pe people just need to be aware that, um, that I think that allowing any kind of power grab here or any kind of like setting up a norm that's going to be allowed, like has to be combated 100% in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, I think it's interesting. Trump, Trump has absolutely t uh, tested our institutions. Um, and so far they have held, but barely. And I think what you do now is you go back and every, every, every leak he exposed in those institutions, every gap, every hole, you, you fill it, you fix it. Um, and you have to, and it's going to take, it takes work, but I think, I think the left and, and Democrats even have to think institutionally because the right has infiltrated at an institutional level, uh, from the federal level to the state level, they have, they have ingrained themselves in the power structure and the time now, the time is now to reverse that. Well, there were, there were these, you call them holes, but I think there were just norms. And I think we need to, that, that he broke and we just, we need to psychopath proof everything now. Um, and just, <laughs> and just, you know, not expect that every president is going to be a, a sane person with the best interest of the country in mind, who's going to abide by the norms of predecessors more or less. <laughs> 
And that's just, that just, that's a great point. And that just reveals the flimsiness of our so-called institutions that norms were, re were really just reliant on people's good faith. And that's clearly not around. So whatever, you know, whatever those specific norms may be, they kind of, if they're really important, they need to be codified. So you can't just break them if you feel like it, or if you're a, a narcissistic white nationalist president. Uh, so, so while we're talking about things that, that are potentially, you know, going to lead us down the road of fascism. Let's, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about those checks. Those, uh, those relief checks. Who's excited for uh, $2,000, two checks, um, <laughs> you know, $2,000 that turned into $1,400 overnight. No, no show of hands. Okay. No, I think, I think it's awesome. Um, that's <laughs> definitely, that's definitely what they were same um and they were definitely sending that message and anyone who didn't understand that is just uh stupid or being dishonest yeah, greedy obviously greedy uh a leech greedy, a leech yeah. to the state i mean yeah. get a job people no i right <laughs> i worry about this because we're facing just just to give everybody sort of a, a rundown we are facing out of control covid spread that is facilitating new strains of the virus, one of which is already showing signs that it could be headed down the road of vaccine resistance. Uh, we don't, we, we have 400,000, I think today dead. Um, and we don't really have, oh God. A, yeah, we just hit, didn't we hit that? Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. We don't have a plan to, to really stop, to contain it, that, that will actually contain it. And Biden's, Biden's plan really seems like I'm, I'm a little nervous that it included the $15 minimum wage, not because I'm opposed to a $15 minimum wage, although it would have been a lot better back in 2016. Um, but because it sends a message maybe that he's not open to uh, a temporary lockdown while we ramp up vaccinations. Um, and the, you know, the kind of the attitude like, well, we did it. We're going to give you $1,400 and that's your $2,000. And then, you know, problem solved like that is really troubling i th i think what we need to do and i i I've, I've talked to medical professionals about this that you know have told me basically the same thing is you lock down you pay everybody you, you subsidize the lockdown you you get the the spread under control and then you vaccinate the hell out of everybody and then once that's done and you've reached critical mass then you can then we can reopen but like at least now when like with new strains and everything, what the fuck are we doing? And, and, and just $1,400 is, is a pittance. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean what, <laughs> what do you expect? I mean, this is as good as it's going to get, you know, like, it, it, I mean, it's, yeah, it was more than I expected. It, that That is my reaction to the $1,400. Sadly. It's, it's such, I think I think the problem is, and and I know that everybody, all four of us have, have talked about this, is that what this is going to do is it doesn't matter if what they meant was a total of two thousand dollars. It doesn't matter if if anybody misinterpreted it, just didn't understand what they really meant. What people heard was you'll have two thousand dollars. What people are going to get is fourteen hundred dollars while. You know they're they're uh, going through some really really awful awful times, um, and they're going to 
look back on the way that they were promised one thing and, and, and given the other thing and they're going to blame the Democrats and they're going, I mean, with, uh, rightly, rightly, uh, 100% rightly, um, this is an own goal. I mean, like there's no, absolutely no reason that this should be happening um, other than the fact that, I mean, th there's no logical reason other than the fact that, you know, they're, uh, they, they are, playing to their base, which is, you know, their donors. Um, and they don't want to give people something to expect because then they might expect more things. Right. And, and yeah. that's, that's, that's what this is about. You know, so I was going to say the same thing. Um, uh, that that only just said, yeah, like it's, it's a completely unforced error. Like you don't just tell people something and then, uh, give them the perception that you're dishonest uh, at the beginning of your term. And this applies to Biden, but it also applies to John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, who campaigned on that. And that probably contributed a great deal to their victory uh, to become U.S. senators and to, to flip the Senate towards Democrats. Um, you know, uh, on a personal level, as a journalist who follows this stuff and was was following the legislative back and forth, um, I actually personally did perceive it as, as a $1,400 check because just because I knew the intricacies of that, of how that last relief bill went and how progressives added a pr proposed an amendment to bring the 600 up to 2000, which meant adding 1400. But I don't expect most people to know that. And second of all, it doesn't really matter because they were out there saying $2,000. There was even a, I saw a Warnock ad screenshot today and it was literally a check and it said 2000 on the check. On the check. Like, you don't that that is false advertising, and I, I'm not blaming Warnock for what Biden is proposing. He probably has nothing to do with it, so it's really not on him or Ossoff. It's on Biden. I mean, it comes from the top, uh, and Biden likes to appease the right, and he's still trying to do this with 50 votes. Uh, I'm sorry, with 60 votes in the Senate without budget reconciliation. Um, what Bernie wants to do is uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Owen. I think this is how it works. If if as the chair of the Senate Budget Committee, he can do a reconciliation deal where it only takes 50 votes or 51 votes. Votes, a, a, a simple majority of the Senate to pass a bill a, a kind of of this magnitude. Um, and so Biden wants to go in there and say, no, like I've got this pretty big package. And, and a lot of people on, on the left are actually saying it's a it's a decent package, $1.9 trillion. But I want to pass it with 10 Republicans. Good luck, man. That's not going to happen. So you're going to have to. It's the exact same thing that happened in 2009, where you go in there, you want it, you want to bring the right along and no one is going to play ball with you at all. But you still water it down in the effort. And then what gets passed is a piece of shit. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely. um what I think we're all expecting, right? Uh, but there is, I have heard an alternate explanation for this. I can't remember, uh, somebody posted on Twitter or I read it somewhere, I can't remember, but, um, and I'm not endorsing this or, or not endorsing, I'm just saying that this is one possible thing, which is basically, if you put up this package as it is, and you and you say you can vote for it or you cannot. They have a choice. They can either vote for it or they can try and negotiate it down. If they start negotiating it down, then you just start pulling things out of it and bringing them up to a floor vote, Individual forcing them bills. to vote against it. But the but the but the interesting thing but the interesting thing about this strategy is that it basically forces them into a situation where they can either vote against every single one of these things. And then have them pass in reconciliation, or they can just say 
fuck it, whatever, and and, and just vote for it. Interesting. Um, it, it what it basically comes down to is 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 what kind of politician is Biden really? And the reason that I say it that way is that Biden presents himself as an idiot most of the time. I mean, like seriously, like he like he does, he's just kind of like an aw shucks. I'm just a good guy, don't really know what's going on. Um, but he was also, you know, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He was in there for four decades. Um, and I think that he's not stupid. So need to like think of him in a way that there may be some kind of strategy that, that, that by the way, I think is, 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 is not, I'm, I'm not saying that it's a good strategy. In fact, I'm saying that it's a bad strategy, but there may be some idea. He may have an idea of what he's doing that makes sense in some kind of weird DC way. Um, frankly, if it, to me, the idea of putting this $1.9 trillion relief bill up to a 60 plus vote and then pulling things out of it individually, <laughs> making this entire process stretch for like two yeah. or three months mm -hmm. sounds incredibly stupid, but yeah, look, people are fucking maybe desperate. that's the idea. I don't know. I don't know. People are desperate. They, they, millions of people are out of work. Millions face eviction. We have a situation like, you know, we're talking about who, who should qualify for a $2,000 check when 40% of the, of adults in the country were struggling to afford basics before the pandemic. Like what the fuck does need mean in America? It just like, to me, that is infuriating. If, if, and, and, and obviously we don't know if that is is the strategy but if that were the strategy and his plan that is infuriatingly bad politics um just like yeah yeah not, just I'm, like I, the, I, the low low balling on the check like you know that's that's bad politics people heard two thousand dollars they're desperate you're giving them you're giving them less now they're just, gonna feel like electoral politics. politics look you're gonna have people who look at this and feel like electoral politics no longer serve them and they're not entirely going to be wrong. And that is going, that, 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 that feeling makes them a candidate for, for, you know, polarization. And that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, one, one thing is that like there's bad politics, like, giving people the impression for uh, for a month that you're going to give them a $2,000 check. That's why they need to vote in Georgia, support this effort, put the Democrats in control, then bait and switch them with the $1,400 check, uh, which again, wh whatever, however they were wording it, like that is the perception. Um, that's really bad politics. This kind of like senatorial back and forth stuff that's bad politics, but it's just, it's, it, 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 it I, I find it less egregious, I guess. Yeah. Than, I agree than with the that. Bait and, switch stuff. and I wonder, I mean, I am curious to see how that, how that turns out. By the out. way, sorry, I just want to say like, we're using yeah. this hypothetical that I heard. 
it could just be that what he really wants is a one trillion dollar bill yeah. with zero dollars for checks. That's what which I worry is, which about. Which is equal, equally, equally likely. That, that's what I worry about. But I, I think now that there's been so much um, focus on the checks, I don't think most Democrats would agree to lower it from fourteen hundred anymore because they would get pummeled. Um, and uh, frankly, I mean, if you look at the numbers, I don't think going back to the two thousand dollar question, I don't think that. Um, going up to 2000 from 1400 is, is really that much more money for a large bill like that. So that's why it's, it's, it's even more stupid when you look at the numbers, it'd be something like 150 billion or something. It's not like that much uh, when you add on. So the, it, there, there isn't really any reason, but I, I do agree with Owen that like this other potential strategy that may or may not be in the works is, is, is less egregious. I'm curious how it turns out. Um, you know, they actually were able to sort of maneuver the $2,000 check question uh, at the end of last month to, to work to, towards the Democrats. I was skeptical of Pelosi's strategy. She waited, um, they waited until after Christmas to pin it on the Senate. Uh, and I thought it would have been smarter to go into Christmas with Mitch McConnell, the Grinch saying, no, I'm blocking your bill, but they actually waited until a few days after Christmas. Um, but you know, that seemed to work fine. So I'll, I'll admit that maybe my, my irritants at that was, was unwarranted. Um, so I'm not going to pretend also that I know how this is going to work out. Um, but I, I generally think that Biden's te- uh, kind of like tepid approach to this stuff, his his kind of good faith in the Republicans is is questionable, especially because, and as you say, like Biden knows how the Senate used to work, right? And I guess up until 2016, he technically kind of was involved in the Senate, although I don't think there are a lot of, he didn't, there weren't a lot of votes he, he had to come down and break the tie of. But uh, I think even in the last four to five years, like it has changed. And McConnell's obstruction has has gotten way worse. And so I'm not sure that Biden really still has fully grasped or, or kind of accepted how bad the partisanship is in the Senate. And I don't think that his optimism in that regard is going to really help. Well, I think that I think that the other thing is, and, and this is kind of like the elephant in the room, as it were, like with what just happened a week and a half ago, a functioning, intelligent, and vicious political party would wipe the Republicans off the fucking face of the map. They, their supporters raided the Capitol, uh, killed a cop, you know, five people died, um, I mean, I would just yeah. be running ads of that. Like, I mean, just like like them them beating cops, like doing all of this stuff. They're running those ads. That's 24/7. a great point. The right would be doing that if it were reversed. They would be oh, all over the shit. No question. The right would be getting everything they wanted and more. And the fact that the also right but not as far right is not doing that is incredibly frustrating. Like, how? On Earth, are they not? I mean, and listen, listen. Now, you know who? You know the only yeah. people who are doing that? It's the goddamn Lincoln Project, and I, I would never defend those guys. But they're the ones who are actually they're doing ads. Stop now. it, Alex! Out. Stop they're it, Alex! The, they're calling out the insurrectionist <laughs> Republicans as we speak, and it's amazing that <sighs> Republicans are the ones doing it, not actual Democratic donors or funders. 
um, that, that I'm aware of. They're, those super PACs. Uh, well, Corey Bush, are, Corey Bush is trying to expel them. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's it's like the, you know, the, the leftists, is... the actual people who who can do anything, not the not the armchair Republican Bush era people who are just like throwing liberals money into ads. Like, yeah, Corey Bush and the, and the left are actually going to try and do real shit. Um, so that that's a, and I'm glad you brought that up. But in terms of like this big big liberal you know, Democratic machine outside super PAC spending kind of networks, like they're not as far they're not doing anything, and that's a great you know that that yeah it, it's amazing to me. But but also like a part of that is if if you have the other side go go and do something like that, like as 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 Owen laid out, like deliver. Deliver for the people. Be like, you know what? Fuck it. We're just we're not going to play this political game. We're just gonna we're gonna try to push through monthly assistance for you. Just well, that's what just we're gonna use do. Your fifty one seat yeah, majority. Fifty one seats. Well, you're you're all getting all two thousand dollar checks every single month from now until the end of the pandemic. And guess what? You know what that would do? That would in that would that would completely uh, solidify an entire voting block for the Democrats heading into a midterm election that is not going to favor them because their guy is president already. The Republicans are about to redraw the districts, which is something I've been warning about for years. And somehow we still didn't avoid it. <laughs> um, it, it would solidify them. Not, not just for the next election for the next generation generation. Yeah. You, this would be, this would be like the new, this could be the new deal kind of moment. Yes. The, and this is, is it's or a moment. Or they could just like, fucking do the green new deal, which would also do the same thing. It's, it's <laughs> but a like, moment. Would be a much like, larger there program. are a lot of things that they could do. Yeah. Like yeah. 2009 again, where they, the Democrats are faced with a, like they're only, they're only going to get one shot at this. They're only going to get one major, um, like one major multi-trillion dollar, like spending package. I don't, I just don't see them doing more than that. I mean, and I'm well open to being wrong. Very open to being well, wrong. Well, I mean, I it, 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 it depends. I mean, they could, they could do this one and then they could do, they could easily, I mean, you know, when this, when this thing started, I mean, didn't they do like, they did two a of them? I, I think, think two like, passed and then the Heroes Act, uh, they passed it in May, the house and it never went anywhere, but that would have had, that would right, have had a had, lot of they had, Yeah. Two they bills. had two in like two or three months. I mean, they, you know, they, they, that was with her. So I don't think that it's, I don't think it's impossible to, to think that it can, that they can do more than one can not will can. They, of, can. of course they, they um, could, and they could theoretically do, you know, they could theoretically yeah. solve all the problems that we're facing. They just, the, the, the problem is will not means. But the, yeah, but the thing is that, you know, in order to do that, I think that, you know, because they, expect that they are going to have the Senate trial of Trump, which McConnell is going to drag out, um, yeah. you know, as minority leader, but him and the Republicans are going to drag it out. Very smart, very smart move, honestly. Um, you know, there are going to be all the confirmations for the cabinet positions, including OMB, which will, which will <laughs> be a very, very easy confirmation. Sorry, guys. Near um, I think that's where you Bernie, make your Bernie will vote. Bernie will vote yes. One, no. No, you don't think Absolutely so. Absolutely not. No, no. Who cares? Oh, she's... It's who, who? Who cares? Well, yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah. Like, like it that. Doesn't matter. She must it have been the matter. happiest person in the country when, when, when John Ossoff was announced as the winner of that race. When she realized that the Democrats had the Senate. Yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, Bernie will look. I mean, he, he. In the end, all the shit he gets, like he actually does the right thing for the party. 
Um, That's not the right thing for the party. He's a party loyalist. He's a He's party, a party loyalist. loyalist. It's the right There's thing. I'm saying it's the right thing for the party. But it's not the Tandon is look. You've got you've got you've got. A, He's not even going to criticize her, Walker. He's not even going to say one thing. I don't. I don't disagree with you. Happen. I think. I think happen, that he man. should. I think that you have. You have right now. You've got enough progressive votes in the in the Senate to to block nominees. Well, but yeah, but really. I think that they it's would really probably only Bernie. I mean, no one else is is like Marky. Everyone else is all you need are two votes. Marky, Marky is. But I think that you, he's progressive. He's he's really not like he hasn't really been uh, kind of this like big leftist that he's turned into recently until until recently until um, recently. Uh, I you know yeah, I, Warren is clearly not as progressive as she she pre pretended she was for a while. But like there is, I mean. You know, she stood with them. She stood with them to block uh, McConnell getting the the you know the defense bill through without the the vote on two thousand dollars checks. Right, but I think that I think that if they're going to block any of of Biden's nominees, I think that they're going to block ones that they actually disagree with on the issues, and they don't actually disagree with Neera Tandon on the issues. They don't. Not not to the extent that they would disagree with other people. They don't. Um, it, like they would be like it would be somebody like. Um, uh, whoever that uh, the antitrust or whatever it was uh, that they have the, the the lawyer that's represented corporations against antitrust that's who he's nominated or something like that like that's the kind of thing something that actually matters is what they're going to actually fight against they don't they're not going to fight against they're not going to fight against New York Dannon because um, she used her position at cap to hamstring uh Bernie's run for, but it's for, not. It's uh, not about. It's president. not about it's that. Not, though. It's, it's not about using her position at Cap to hamstring Bernie. It's the fact that she used Cap to legitimize calls to for the chain CPI Social Security cuts. It's that she's used Cap to legitimize, you know, to to stand by uh, the UAE and and uh, like take all this money from right. from Wall Street. But and, like that's problematic. In that way, she agrees with most Democrats who are in the Senate and. Fighting against her would only create a party fracturing drama that Republicans would then take advantage of, which is the way that they're thinking of it. And there's just no way that that anything that, like she's going to sail through and Bernie's going to make sure that that happens. And people just need to accept that and come to terms with it. Yeah. Uh, and and that maybe there's a possibility that he might fight against somebody, but it will not be Nira. Um, and that will be I like I, I I bet that's going to be like one of the most low drama hearings of the entire thing. Well, I think the Republicans no. are, are going to have their little victim fit because they love being the victims, um, even though they victimize right. everyone else. Um, that's kind of part of their MO. But yeah, I mean, I don't I'm not up on all the nominees anymore. Like they're they're pretty much all announced. So I've kind of been like a little negligent. Uh, but I agree, like there might be one or two that maybe Warren and Bernie can together um, oppose who's, who's more kind of a financial uh, criminal or, or has someone like a lawyer who's abetted financial criminals. Um, as opposed to just a really lame think tank head who like once support, at, at, you know, five or six years ago, right. supported cutting a couple programs that frankly, Biden probably uh, at the time certainly agreed with. Um, but uh, yeah, at I the mean, time. at the time. Yeah, come on. 
Well, I mean, his his new image, he's 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 like right. he's I the mean, same, yeah. you know, old dog. New but tricks. yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, I guess the budget director tends to kind of like be an advisor to the president and tell them, oh, does is this going to work for our economy? Right? Can we afford this? I guess yeah, more can we just... afford this as a government? So yes, that that can be a very influential position. So I mean, I, I would certainly support anyone who wants to oppose that, oppose her for that position. Um, but it's not a cabinet secretary, I guess. It's a little different. I think Owen's probably right that she'll that she'll sail through, but I, I just you know and and uh, acknowledge but acknowledging that I think she's a, a horrendous choice and and giving legitimacy to um, Tandon beyond the beyond you know cap uh, her center right think tank I think is is problematic. Well, the one the one last thing that I would say about this is that uh, during my reporting for. Uh, blue tent um on i i was i was writing about um something completely different let me let me actually pull this up just because the quote is good um is i was talking with jennifer epps addison who's the head of center for popular democracy <coughs> which is a huge uh progressive yeah they're great and they're really good yeah like they like they they, they, they endorse Bernie. Massive. They they campaign for Bernie with their C four. I think. Yeah, yeah. So and so I've I've spoken with uh, with with Jennifer for a number <laughs> of stories, and 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 she's very she's real sharp. Um, but uh, you know, as well as talking to me, which is obviously uh, you know the biggest endorsement you could give her. Uh, she also <laughs> is listened to by um, by Biden and his transition team, and. What happened was that she had been in contact with them. This is like back in like November, December. And she's like, you know, you guys got to select a real movement leader. You got to select somebody who's doing the work, who's organizing. Oh, God. And yeah. I remember that. And so they, cho they choose Tandon for OMB. And then they reach out to her. They send somebody from the transition team, sends her a text saying, <laughs> Aren't you happy we brought a movement leader into the administration? <laughs> and she and and she said, and I'll quote her here. And I said, no comment. I really don't think the mainstream people understand the cap is not a leftist organization, but they literally were like, you should be happy. Like a big movement leader is one of the most important positions. Be happy. Um, so that's what went down. Uh, I remember when you tweeted that you were like, someone I'm in contact with told me that that's who that's who Biden thinks is a is a left wing movement leader. Um, right. And then, and then, like all these people were like, uh, you know, these these alt centrist dipshits were like, "Oh, you're full of shit. Who is that?" You know, like, oh, and then like the story came out and like nothing, nothing, yeah. because you can't say anything to that. Like, so, yeah. but I just think that I mean that just shows that like the Biden transition team they don't really. I mean, the way that this got explained to me by other, I talked to other people about this. Sorry, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent about this, but I talked to a couple other people who I who I spoke to around DC and around like the organizing world about this specific quote and about what it says about um, Biden and and his, uh, you know, the, like the way he's going to be approaching governing, and you know what they said was that people in people in government um in 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 the transition people in dc like they don't like this is like they're like this isn't like a cynical lie 
Like this person wasn't lying to Jennifer. Like this is really the way that they think. They really think they're like, oh, Center for American Progress. Progress. It has progress in the name. That must okay, great. So she's a movement leader. All right, what else do you got? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah they what oppose do you guys Medicare want? for all for fuck's sake. Um, uh, yeah, they, yeah. they don't they're not even thinking that way. Yeah, so. I mean I was there I still to my to my knowledge, there's still not a single person who is gonna be a member of the administration um who endorsed Bernie Sanders for president, um, which is you know not unexpected, but it's just kind of just I, funny I, and how, sad. How unusual is that though? Do do we know if that's like I mean, has anybody actually done um any reporting on this? Like like how unusual is it that the runner-ups endorsement list is not represented at all okay, in the administration? I don't know. I mean, I will say though, there are people who weren't go- who weren't going to go out there and make endorsements, like Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark, who are two very well-respected, very progressive uh, civil rights leaders who are going to be in very top positions at, at DOJ now. Um, I know at least Gupta was in the Obama administration. I'm not sure about Kristen Clark, but I mean, they're they're both like legit progressive like they're going to do really really good work the problem is i think they're the number two is someone who who is a homeland security advisor to obama and then um you know the number one is pretty underwhelming so but i mean they're they're going to be heads of their departments within the agency and that's i mean that's encouraging i'm just just if if you want to like if there's a couple things to celebrate those those are two great great picks I just think it's weird that that there's not a single. I mean, it's not. Look, I understand why. I don't. I don't actually think it's weird. I, but I think it is very telling um, that that nobody who endorsed Sanders is is in the administration. That is like, and and you didn't see that in two thousand eight, despite what people called like a bitter primary. Like, you know, Hillary was made Secretary yeah. of State. You and and I, I, you know, Sanders. I think Sanders will have considerable power as the uh uh director of the senate budget committee um i mean interesting interesting like hypothetical is i wonder if that would have happened if hillary had won in 2016 or if there would have been sanders people in her administration you know my bet is is actually that there would have been really because yeah because i think that Clinton's win in the primary wasn't seen as a defeat of like the, the, the Sanders movement, the progressive movement within the party in the same way that the Biden's was. And so she would have still needed to like kind of bring the party together. Also, it was just closer in terms of the, the votes. I mean, it was just closer that in 2016. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I don't know. I mean, I agree with like her, she had more pressure. Biden doesn't seem to feel any yeah. pressure at all, despite like what, nope. again, I mean, despite what, what Bernie and his, his, a lot of his movement and his followers uh, and his fans and his endorsers did to help Biden win. There's just zero pressure. I, I uh, don't agree with this. To, I, do. I don't, I don't agree. I think Biden and, and call me an optimist, but I think that Biden, maybe not from Sanders people, maybe he doesn't feel pressure from Sanders people, but given the weight of the crises that we're facing, given the, es- given the escalating nature of the pandemic, I think Biden is slowly maybe realizing that he can't think as small as he was promising in the primary. And that's why you see this $1.9 trillion package. I mean, there is good stuff in this package. There's also some bad stuff, but... Um, like this is bigger than anything Biden would have even considered like a few months ago. I, I do. I do think he is 
I, I think he sees the writing on the wall as far as the next generation of Democrats and what they value and what their politics are like, i.e. more progressive. And I do think he's open to starting to to um, to shift towards that. I mean, and I think we we do. I I do think I do think um, he because of his age. Because I don't even think he plans to run for a second term. I do think he wants to just take the next the party, the Democratic Party. You know, the, a step forward. And and I think he's willing to rethink things that he's believed for a long time. Yeah. Anyway, I listen. Hope. I I I we don't have. We, we, we got to let Owen go. He's got some stuff to do and uh, we've been going for about an hour. So I, I just want to, uh, to wrap it here and, and say thank you to Owen Higgins for joining us. Um, you know, the, the smart motherfucker hate that, hate that you're going to be right about Tandon, but you probably are going to be right about Tandon. And um, yeah, if I'm wrong, I'll come back and eat a plate full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't. We won't make you do that. Hypothetically, hypothetically, it, it's analogous. Can we, <laughs> can we take? Can we take the shit that the MAGA people actually left on the floor of the Capitol on the oh, sixth? Oh my <laughs> god! Look, look, I mean, I, I, I will say there are times. There are times throughout my day on, on Twitter that I just have to resist the urge to tell somebody to like eat dog ass. So I, I understand <laughs> yeah. that, you know. But anyway, Owen, oh, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, and uh, yeah, tune in next time to for another episode of Gilded Age. Thanks, Owen. Yeah, thanks a lot, Owen. And we'll we're right, thanks, guys. we'll put all your links in the show notes so people can can find you online. Great, thank you guys. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Take care. Audio editing by Alex Koch. Original theme music by Direwolf. Published by Opt Out News.